has a name. Well, thanks for joining us this morning on the first Sunday of 2023, where we're together, right? We've spent uh, the last couple weeks doing some different stuff with Christmas and New Year's falling on uh, Sunday, so we switched some things up. So thanks to those of you who were able to join us uh, on Christmas Eve at the warehouse, and thanks to those of you who joined us last New Year's Eve for our worship night, and a special thank you uh, to everybody that put work and time into those two things. As I went back and looked, there was about 20 to 25 people who invested real time into making Christmas at the warehouse happen and making New Year's Eve happen. So I just want to say thank you uh, to those of you who were able to do that. We appreciate all the support you gave us. If we've never met, my name's Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at GFC. And of course, uh, if we have to move into a new year, we're going to have a brand new focus. And so last year we talked about the idea of being resolved and understanding why we believe what we believe. And now we're switching gears and we're jumping into this new conversation called Hope Has a Name. And over the last couple of years, we've used those words or those ideas or those themes to kind of structure how we go through what we're going to study and what uh, we're going to process as a church during this calendar year. And so I'm going to share a little bit more about what this means a little bit later, but our whole conversation today is going to be about this idea of hope and how we as a church and we as followers of Jesus exude hope and teach hope and show hope to other people. And so I'm really, really excited about that. We're going to start today in Isaiah 61. And so we've actually spent a lot of time in Isaiah recently. We spent some time in Isaiah uh, in our Christmas series. Um, And you might say, well, Isaiah doesn't have a ton to do with Christmas. Well, we looked at the series or the story before the story so we can understand the significance of the story. And so I thought, you know what, let's start in Isaiah again. He's going to come up a few times today. And kind of set the stage for where we're going for the year. So again, if you would like to, you can always follow along. By the way, if you're new with us, uh, on the back of this Next Steps card, we've got the little QR code. You can scan that with your phone. We have a follow-along page, which gives you all the verses and all the notes. You can submit a prayer request uh, or even ask a question if you'd like. So you can use that, or we'll have the verses up on the screen for you. So in Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. This is an interesting verse. A lot of hopeful things in this verse, right? And the cool thing is Isaiah writes this verse, but later Jesus actually quotes this verse. And so when we connect that, we go, okay, so here's this question or this statement at the beginning uh, in Isaiah here, at the beginning of 61, and then Jesus has this conversation. So this is, a, this is an idea that's kind of spanning through some scriptures here. And the first thing I want to ask us today and kind of help us process is this question, why did Jesus save you? Or why did Jesus save me? Or why, if you're not a follower of Jesus, why do we believe Jesus offered to save you? I don't know if you've ever processed that question. But like, if you're a follower of Jesus, at some point, you realized or came to the reconciliation that you are a sinner, that you've done wrong things, and that those wrong things, those sins, separate you from God. And so then you had the process you go through, you understand Jesus died, rose again, and his blood pays for your sins. And so if you accept that and recognize the relationship he's wanting to have with you, then you have that relationship with him. And if that's true, then you spend eternity in heaven. But I talked a couple weeks ago, and I said, sometimes we stop there. And we go, okay, good, I'm saved. That means when I, get, when I die and when I move on, that means I get to be with Jesus, but we don't think about what that actually means here. 
And there's a reason that our salvation doesn't just start when we die, but it starts the moment we decide to follow Jesus. It's because there's a purpose and a reason that we are here on earth to fulfill. And part of that reason, I think, is what Isaiah talked about in 61 verse 1. He's got a mission, and Jesus then takes this verse and says, this is the mission that I have. And in so doing, Jesus imparts some of that mission to us. And so we have to recognize, even starting off on a new year, that there's a reason we exist as Christ followers in the world. He didn't take us home, like, right? We didn't get saved, and all of a sudden you just die and go to heaven. He's not like, whoop, now you're gone, right? You don't have to worry about this world anymore. No, there's still, like, something to do. So what do we do with that? Going on Isaiah 61, we'll go to verse 2. It says, He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Verse 3, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Now, I really like this verse, and I love some of the wording that's in there. But sometimes when I study, I use different uh, versions of Scripture, and sometimes there's another version that shows up. Sometimes people ask me, what version do we use, like up on the screen and on the follow-on? It's the New Living Translation. And the reason we use that is because it's fairly simple to understand, but it's also very close to the original language. But one of the versions I use when I study on my own regularly is the ESV. And when I read this verse in the ESV, I loved the way that it was said. So we're going to put the same verse up there, but so Isaiah 61.3, but it's just in the ESV. It says this, to grant those who mourn in Zion or in Israel to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Such a cool verse. And I just want to pause here and just kind of extrapolate what's going on here, okay? Notice that the subject of the conversation, those who mourn in Israel, right? They're already in a mournful state. That means things aren't going too well, right? If you're a mournful state, you're, in a sad, you're sad, you're upset, that's not a good place to be. And yet it says that God will come in, he will give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. And if you remember what would go on in Bible times, like if there was sadness, if there was mourning, they would find themselves in sackcloth and ashes. Think about it this way, just like really plain, itchy clothes, and they would put ashes on themselves. We as Americans don't love all the time to show emotion, right? Like maybe when we're excited, we'll show up. But like if someone starts crying, sometimes it just feels awkward, right? Like I don't know what to do with this, right? We don't really get necessarily what to do with emotion sometimes. Back in Bible times, totally the opposite, right? They were like, if you're upset, I'm going to tell everybody. And I'm going to tell everybody by wearing these clothes and putting ashes on myself, right? You, you are all going to know that I am in a state of mourning. But, but it says that God will give them a beautiful headdress instead of those ashes, that they would be showing that they are happy and glad and, up, and upbeat instead of the ashes that they could be mourning in. So the oil of gladness instead of that mourning, so there would be gladness in them instead of mourning. And the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. This one's really cool. And as I did some study and I was looking around, um, seeing other people and reading about other people interpreting this, these verses, I came across this one pastor who talked about it in reference to worship. He said, you know, the subject of these verses, they're, they're in a sad state, right? We already established that. He said, but what God doesn't do is God doesn't change their circumstances. He doesn't come in and just say, 
oh, the thing that you're sad about or the thing that you're mourning. He goes, I'm not, I'm not just going to change that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you something so that you can handle it. I'm going to give you something so that you don't have to stay in it. And when he talked about this, this uh, garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, he talked about it in terms of worship, but he simply said, when you put on that garment of praise, it changes the way you see mourning and sadness. And it changes the way you interact with it. He said, just like when you go outside and it's cold out and you put on a coat. It doesn't change what's going on around you. It doesn't change the weather you have to interact with, but it changes the way you interact with the weather. And so if you're going to go outside and you're going to be in the cold for a long period of time, you're going to put on a coat. Because it's going to help you stay warm, unless you're one of the crazies at football games that just go out and don't wear a shirt. I don't really understand why that happens, right? But it changes the way you interact with it. What God is doing in this passage is not just simply saying, when I show up in my presence, it's just going to fix everything. Jesus doesn't promise us that when we decide to follow him, that everything just changes and is easy. But he does promise to walk with us through it. And we can look back at these verses and say, yeah, I, I can put on these things because I know God and it will change the way I interact with the world around me. I underline or I, I highlighted this idea of oaks of righteousness because we're going to talk, we're going to use those terms today. Because I think that's so important, right? He says, if they do this, right? If you look like this, you accept these things God's given you, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So he says, this is what it looks like, right? So here's the first thing. I'm going to give us three things eventually, but here's the first thing. Oaks of righteousness are not controlled by their conditions. Oaks of righteousness are not controlled by their conditions. What do I mean by that? I mean that if we're going to be followers of Jesus or we're going to be the people that exude what God has given us, we're not going to be controlled by the, like the cold is not going to change whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, right? The, the cultural weather is not going to change who we are as followers of Jesus. And so just because the conditions get bad means, you know what? I'm just going to put on what God gave me. I'm going to keep going. It doesn't mean that I'm going to change just because the cultural weather or the cultural conditions have changed. We would not be controlled by them, but what we would do is find our rest in who God is. Now, I want to fast forward to the New Testament. We're going to bounce around a little bit today. I don't usually do that, but today we're developing some things. And so we're going to go to Romans, okay? We're going to go to Romans chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 8. We're going to read a chunk of, of scripture here. And this is, this is another really cool passage to kind of take what we're talking about in the Old Testament, especially with Isaiah, and we fast forward a little bit to know that it's true for our context as well. Romans 15 verse 8 says this, Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jew to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. Right? We know this. Jesus was born as a Jew. He was born to Jewish parents. He was born with a Jewish lineage. We can go back and look at Jesus' lineage. And his, in his lineage is all these big names, right? He was born to show the Jews that God had kept his promises, and so that they would know, the Jews would know, that this was the Messiah that was promised to them. But then he goes on in verse 9. He says, He also came so that the Gentiles might have glory, might give glory to God for his mercies to them. This is important because guess what? Now we're in, most of us, right? Unless you come from Jewish descent, everybody else that doesn't, like me, now we're in the equation. Because it's not just for Jews, it's also for Gentiles. This was an interesting statement for those people listening. Because they thought the Messiah was only here for the Jews. They saw the Gentiles as people they didn't want to be included. 
And this causes problems. If we were to fast forward into Acts and into more of the New Testament, this is an issue where Jews and Gentiles go back at each other for a long time because the Jews that were there at the time thought the Messiah was coming for them, and then the Messiah shows up and goes, nope, the Gentiles are in two. This is a problem. So goes on and says, that is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, for this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. Paul keeps going in Romans 15, and he helps us understand. So that was from Psalm 18. I put the little references in here so you know where these quotes are coming from. So in the next verse, Romans 15, 10, it says, And in another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. That was from Deuteronomy 32. In verse 11 of Romans 15, it says, And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. That was from Psalm 117. And then he gets to Romans 15, 12, and it says, And in another place, Isaiah, our guy Isaiah, the heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles and they will place their hope on him. In Romans fifteen twelve, He says, see all these places where even in the Old Testament, right? Isaiah talks about this and says that the Gentiles are included. So let's just pause for a minute, right? We, we read what, what it said in Isaiah 61. And the promises that were made, not to us, but to the people of Israel. When they're mourning, what does that look like? But when we are included in what will come to them, now that conversation in Isaiah 61 can have some significance for us as well. And Paul goes on, Romans 15, 13, says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read that one more time. This is powerful. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's how I read that verse, okay? Those of us who know Jesus should be the most hopeful people. Those of us who know Jesus and the hope that he offers should be the most hopeful people. In all circumstances, even when we're in mourning and sadness and life isn't going the way that we want it to, we should be the ones who are the most hopeful. Because how does he describe it in verse 13? Like, let's just break it down. So how does verse 13 describe the Gentile who who follows Jesus or Jews who follows Jesus? Filled with joy, filled with peace, overflowing with hope. You know what that means? There's no room for anything else. You're filled with it. So if, if I'm a Christian or I know a Christian who is angry and frustrated all the time. You ever met those? We would never meet those people, right? They're missing something. Why? Because we're to be filled with joy and peace and overflowing hope. So when we start to, as Jesus followers, exude the opposite, or we stay too long in one place of the, that's opposite to these things, we have to recenter ourselves and say, This is who I am to be because of the hope I have in Jesus. Now, I want to be really clear from it. This doesn't mean that there aren't times of mourning, right? There are times when life hits you, and it's deep depression for a while. It's looking at God and asking why. It's being upset. There's times where people do things to you, and you get angry, and it's a righteous anger. But the point is to say, We don't stay there. Feelings are real. Feelings should be expressed, and they should be understood. But at the same time, we we process them, 
and we work through grief and mourning and we do it in a healthy way. And we get back to the point where we say, you know what, even when the weather outside is difficult, I have this cloak of praise I can put on and be filled with joy and peace and overflowing with hope. This sounds kind of fluffy. Like when you read this, it's like, that just sounds like I'm just sunshine and rainbows all the time and that's not life, right? I get that. But at the same time, we have to figure out how to put those two together. The second thing I would say about oaks of righteousness is that they cannot be moved from a state of hopefulness. They can't be moved from a state of hopefulness. You ever try and move an oak tree? Like not a little sapling, right? Like a big one. If you were going to move an oak tree, you would need some massive equipment, right? I have a two-year-old that's playing with trucks right now. We have a bunch of two-year-olds in this, in this building that just love playing with trucks. And if we were going to move an oak tree and we had to bring in the diggers and all this stuff, like we would bring all the kids and like they would love it, right? Because you can't move those things without this large equipment. Not, it's not going to go anywhere. It's an oak tree. So the case is, even when life is difficult, frustrating, hard to understand, that we would not be moved from a state of hopefulness. Why? Because we know Jesus, because we know the one who controls it all, because we are the people that get to show others what hopefulness really means. I want to go to one more place in scripture as we process this idea this morning. Matthew 15. So we were just in Romans 15. Now we're going to go to Matthew 15. And we're going to get to hear directly from Jesus. And just... Like, heads up, Jesus kind of lays a smack down in this conversation, okay? It's a really cool passage. I like it a lot. He says in Matthew 15, starting in verses 7 to 9, he says, You hypocrites, Isaiah, here's Isaiah again, was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. That's a great word. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Now listen, this is the worst kind of insult you could give to somebody in this culture. It's the worst. Because he literally says, you know Isaiah, the guy that, well, we all just read a bunch of times, they all knew him too. He was the person that he prophesied about. He was talking about you. And for maybe a moment, the people listening were like, this could be really good. Like Isaiah prophesying about me, this could be great. And then he goes, nope. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as the commands of God. They would rather elevate their preferences to be the commands they follow rather than what God actually taught. And as he's saying this, right, the people that are listening that think they're religiously righteous, the Pharisees and the scribes and others, are hearing him say, that the person, Isaiah, that they would have known and studied and wanted to be like and wanted to see the prophecies fulfilled and knew all this stuff about was talking about them. We talked about these people that were far from him. Nothing could have cut them more to the core. Then going on in verses 10 11, it says, Then Jesus called to the crowd to come here. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but you are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Again, this is a teaching opposite of what they had learned so far. Right? In the law, it was all about what you did and didn't do and what you could eat and not eat and touch and not touch. And if you didn't do those things correctly, you would defile yourself. And now Jesus, pre like he hasn't died and risen again yet, 
He's already calling this out and just saying, nope, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out. Here's what he's saying. Okay, let me say it a little bit differently. He's saying, what you eat does not defile you. What you drink does not defile you. What you watch or interact with doesn't necessarily defile you. But what it does in here, right, in your heart, what it stores up in your heart, and then what it causes you to do outwardly, that's when you know it defiles you. So if you woke up on, you know, Christmas morning or New Year's morning or you had family over and you got the bacon ready and you started to cook it and, you know, you ate bacon, that would be totally fine. But here's the problem, right? Let's say you have a family member that's in town that's a vegan. And now all of a sudden it's like, I'm going to make the bacon. I'm going to sit across from you and you just eat your bacon staring them right in the eye, right? I'm just going to eat it in front of you and look at you the whole time. Why? Because you're being a jerk to them, Right? When we take our rights and we say, or, or what we can do, and we say, I'm going to use it against somebody else, or I'm going to do it to hurt somebody, or I'm going to leverage it in the wrong way, then it becomes a problem. But just to eat or drink it isn't a problem. So Jesus is helping them understand that this is the switch that's going to happen. It's what's in the, in the heart that matters. He goes on in verse 12. Well, he doesn't go on. Actually, the disciples get a little worried. So then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Pharisees were high up. They were the ones who were in control of, of things and they were looked at well and they were the leaders. And so the disciples get a little worried. They go, do you realize you've insulted them? This may not go over so well for us. And Jesus doubles down in verses 13 and 14. He says, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Now, take the first part of that verse again, right? Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. Now, let's jump back to Isaiah 61, verse 3, and let's look at the second half of that verse. That they may be called... Oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Because if, you, if they're not planted by God, if they're not following what I've taught, then they will be uprooted and gone. If you are planted by God, then you will be an oak of righteousness. And some commentators believe that as Jesus spoke in Matthew 15, he was recalling Isaiah 61. Because he just talked about Isaiah, remember? And they would have known what he was talking about. So here's an interesting piece, right? If we are not people of hope, we are blind leading the blind astray. If we aren't the ones offering hope in Jesus' name, then we might as well be leading blind people that are already blind astray. We would be acting as the blind leading other blind people. And who are the other blind people? It's people that don't know Jesus. So if we're caught up as followers of Jesus, if we're caught up in not being hopeful and we're not focused on what God has given us and we're not putting on the coat when the weather gets bad so that we can continue to engage with culture the way we need to or whatever we need to do in our lives, and we're going to be the ones that are shaking our fists and be upset and not be the ones who are hopeful, then we're leading other people who might be not followers of Jesus already off the path. Why? Because if we aren't the hopeful ones, why would anybody else want to follow Jesus? I've seen it before. I've heard people say, you people are so frustrated and just angry all the time. Why would I worship a God that does that to me? Right? 
I'm not saying everybody's like that. But people see that. And people see what it does for us when our faith takes root. And sometimes it's good. But sometimes we follow the wrong things and we lead people astray. Here's the third thing I would say about oaks of righteousness, that they are guides to the glory of God. You know, I've said this before, I enjoy hiking at different times. And, you know, sometimes you go to somewhere that, that, you know, you're in the woods or you're going up a mountain or something like that. And wherever you start, there's multiple paths you can take, right? And so maybe you look at a map or you've got it on your phone. And if you go this way, there's like a red trail and there's a blue trail and there's a yellow trail. And so when you're following it, right, you're going through the path and you're trying to look for, if you're on the yellow trail, you got to find the next yellow tree to make sure that you're still on the path. If you go too far and you don't see another yellow tree or paint on the tree that's yellow, now you've got a problem. You've got to backtrack and make sure you didn't go off course. But here's the thing. If you've never done that hike before, you're following the guide, but you don't know exactly what's coming next. That's who we are to be to people of this world. That we would mark the path to God, even though we don't know necessarily, and they don't know necessarily what's coming next, but that we would be able to say, no, if we take this path and we stay on this road and we take the, what the scriptures would call the narrow path to God, then we'll get to him. And the same thing is true of, you know, if you really want to break it down, oaks, which way do they point? They point up, right? They're trees that can't be moved. They're trees that point to God. They're trees that guide the way. And so if we are going to be one of those oaks of righteousness, we guide others to the glory of God and point them to him in all situations. And this is where I, like, if you tune me out for a second or like you're at home and the kids went berserk, like, come back for a minute because this is kind of where the heart of the issue matters, okay? Here's the way I would say this. The amount of hope in your heart measures how much faith you have in your Savior. Here's what I mean by that. If we are filled and overflowing with hope, it means that we believe our Savior is going to come through in the end. It's because we believe in every circumstance, in the worst circumstance ever, that Jesus will show up and Jesus will win the day and Jesus will be the one we're with in the end. But when we don't have hope in our heart, it means we're looking at the situation and saying, we don't trust what God is doing. It can be very easy, and I I get it. Like when we look at culture or we look at what's going on in the world around us, we could look at those things and go, this is so bad. Like, I don't know what to do with this. I remember there was a time I was in youth group and uh, we did a Super Bowl party. And back then my youth group that when we would do Super Bowl parties, they would kind of sometimes have somebody come in that was like not famous, but they were kind of high profile to like give their testimony or whatever. And so different years they had, you know, they had the Eagles come because back then they had no chance at making the Super Bowl. So they had those guys come every once in a while and there was different people they'd bring in. And one year they actually brought a player from the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, He had actually played in the NBA for a while, like for three games or something like that. But he said his claim to fame in the NBA was he was fouled by Michael Jordan and then made both free throws. So he was pretty proud of that. But he got to be really good at, you know, he was obviously really good basketball. He was on one of the Harlem Globetrotter teams and, um, I remember him saying one specific phrase that stuck with me, and I never liked it. He kept saying, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Have you ever heard that phrase before? And he said it over and over again, and he he kept saying, that's what's happening in the world. That's what's happening in the world. That's what's happening in the world. And it's easy to look at the world and say, yeah, that, that might be true. Like, we know the end of the world is not going to be a happy place if we read all of Revelation. But if I trust what Jesus says... 
then my job is to win as many people as I possibly can so they're not in the handbasket too. And my goal is to show them that that's not the reality that needs to be true for them. And if I believe that, then I will overflow with that hope to offer people and say this isn't just because we see that there are difficult things happening in our world and there's bad things going on. Just because of that doesn't mean that that's the way it has to be. And there are some weeks, right, where we look at the news and it's all bad. And then there's weeks like this week where it starts off really bad and it gets really good for a football player. And watching somebody uh, pray on ESPN It's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, you see that and you just kind of go, that's that's where the hope is. Because we can complain and say they won't let us pray in schools, they won't let us play in stuff. But, hey, listen, ESPN is owned by Disney. You know I love Disney, but people don't like Disney. And they go, Disney's trying to push this agenda, blah, 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 blah. Well, ESPN's a Disney organization, and now they're letting somebody pray on it. Like, it goes both ways. So, like, we, we can make the decision and we can say this is a problem, or we can show up and live like we're hopeful people. And say, I have faith that Jesus is going to win in the end. And so our goal this year, who I want us to be, is people of hope. That even when other people are around us, even other Christians are around us and saying, you see how bad things are? See what's happening? That we can look at them and say, yeah, but Jesus is on the throne. We got people to win. We got, we got people to tell about them. I'm not going to get stuck in the muck. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to tell other people what hope is there. And very simply, just like we've already said, right? Hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. And we've talked before, right? I've said it before, that we exist at GFC to establish every person on the foundation of Jesus. And part of that foundation is hope. If hope's not a part of that foundation, then we got nothing, right? If everything's hopeless and everything's lost, then why would we even hope in Jesus in the first place? But the point is to say that Jesus is the answer to the hopelessness we see in our own lives and even in the world. And so here's what's going to happen. We're actually going to take 2023, and our our central text is going to be the book of Luke. And so we're not going to go verse by verse through the entire book of Luke. That would take much longer than a year. And I'm a little bit too, like, I got to keep, we got to keep bouncing to different ideas, right? So in general, we're going to travel through the book of Luke and take big chunks out and take different topics out and do some different sermon series on it. So it's not going to look like it's verse by verse, but we're going to travel through. And I I would invite you to maybe dig a little deeper into Luke uh, this year. One of the cool things that I got um, before we, before the year even started is uh, the ESV has a couple of journals that look like this. Um, this one's the plain one, but there's one that's a little more pretty if you want a little bit more of a pretty one. Uh, these are on Amazon for like 6 or $7. And all they are is, uh, I'll just open it and show you, one side is one page of scripture, one side is just a side for notes. And so if you just go through, one of my plans is in my own quiet time just to go through a couple of times a week and just open this and go through that one side of the page and just make my observations and write down my prayer requests and just travel through the book of Luke this year. Again, fairly, again, super cheap, 6 or $7. Uh, I looked this morning. If you order it in like the next eight hours, we'll be at your house tomorrow, okay? So you can study through Luke this year. But dig into Luke. Let's dig in together and let's be people of hope. So here's the question, okay, as we wrap up our time. What does a hopeful spirit look like for you right now? What does a hopeful spirit look like for you right now?
you know, here's what I know to be true, right? If we are not having a hopeful spirit, if I'm not having a hopeful spirit, you know who knows? My wife knows, right? That I don't have a hopeful spirit. My kids know I don't have a hopeful spirit. Pastor Andrew knows when I don't have a hopeful spirit. Because it just, you exude it. It's like, if you're hopeful or not hopeful, people know. And it comes out in the way you interact. And it comes out in the things you do. So are there areas of life where we would say, I am clearly not a hopeful person. I'm clearly frustrated about this problem. I'm clearly just always down on this issue. And how would I allow the hope that Jesus gives me to change my perspective on that? How will I put on that coat, right, that we talked about and say, you know what, I'm not just going to be frustrated that it's cold outside. I'm going to put on the coat and say, I can do this with Jesus walking next to me. So I don't know how to answer this question for you. I know how to answer it for me. But what does a hopeful spirit look like for you right now? And this year, may we be people that exude hope to those who are around us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are thankful for um, you know, what Paul said in Romans, that we would be people that overflow with hopefulness. The reason for that is not because of, of just blindness or ignorance or because we just want to ignore our problems, but it's because of you. And even when we are in a mournful place, we're frustrated, we're sad, we're lonely, we're upset, whatever that may be, the fact that you walk with us through that I pray that we would allow that to give us a spirit of hope. And I pray that ultimately this year, as we go through the year and the plans we have and the exciting things we have that are going to happen in 2023, that that would be something that people look at us and say that have never met us before, that those people are people of hope. That it's not something that we're, we're begrudging anything, or but we just always point to you as our source of hope. And I pray that you would help us understand this question of what does a hopeful spirit need to look like for us? And that you would convict us of those, of those times where we're just overly critical or overly angry or frustrated or whatever it might be. And that we would allow you to influence those parts of our life. In Jesus' name.